Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode, episode 162, for the love of the game, on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Now that the NBA Finals are over, we still have NHL Stanley Cup Finals, we still have Major League Baseball, some fight news, and even some NFL futures, so there's still plenty of action to happen, and the best place to place your action is Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device, sign up today, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. Again, promo code believe B L E A V to get your 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts. With that said, episode 162 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. Yeah. Hey, hit records on my demo. Did y'all boys not get the memo? It is episode 162 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network with yours truly, ATH, Aaron Tobin Hess, back in the studio, back behind the mic, recording on a Friday, the day after the Golden State Warriors wrapped up the series four games to two against the Boston Celtics by the score of 103 to 90 in game six. What an enjoyable enjoyable watching experience this was now in this episode we're strictly talking basketball i'm going to talk about the nba finals we're going to talk about the nba draft in a little bit but the monologue is strictly about the nba we're not going to get into the nhl stanley cup game one was a lot of fun to watch but that's not what this is about back to the bread and butter we're talking nba hoops so a quick couple of notes on game six and what took place last night before we get into some broader, higher-level topics. So I was watching with a buddy of mine, and he has money on the Warriors, and the Warriors go down 11-2, to like, right off the bat. I'm just like, like, Rob, just relax. Just relax. I wasn't an ounce nervous. You figured Boston was going to come out firing. They had let a golden opportunity slip away in Game 5 when Steph Curry had his off night, as I mentioned in the last episode. But I wasn't announced nervous. And then the Warriors go on a 50-22 run, which included a 21-0 run between the first and second quarter. And the game was basically that, all right? That basically put the game out of reach. Steph Curry was absolutely bonkers. Last night, just an incredible display, 12 of 21 shooting, 34 points, 7 rebounds, 
seven assists, six for 11 from three. Just an unbelievable night, an unbelievable night. But it wasn't just him. You had moments where Jordan Poole had a couple of moments at late in the first quarter, early second quarter. Draymond Green was absolutely sensational. Set the tone with, you know, a couple of made threes early, and he hit arguably the biggest shot of the night. Andrew Wiggins was all over the place on both ends. He had maybe the best 8-for-19 shooting game I've ever seen. Just awesome. Absolutely awesome. Now, the big thing for the Celtics was, as I mentioned again in the last episode, not to toot my own horn, but I tend to do that from time to time, was the Celtics don't have the shot makers to overcome the turnovers, right? This has been well documented. And the golden number for the Celtics was 16. If the Celtics don't turn the ball over 16 times or more, they have a good chance of winning. If they do, if they're 16 or over, they never win. Well, last night they were sloppy with the ball again. 22 turnovers. Marcus Smart was dreadful. Jalen Brown shot the ball great and had moments of keeping them in the game in the third quarter, trying to get them back in the game. He kept fighting, but his ball handling was dreadful again. And Jason Tatum, another dreadful night. And we're going to get to him in a little bit. But the Celtics, yeah, I I, I never really bought into them as a championship contender. You got to give them credit for the turnaround that they had, right? They were 21 and 22 or something like that, 20 and 21. At some point in the season, they were 11th place in the East, went on a crazy turnaround. Turned their season around, had an incredible second half, and they got to the finals. Yeah, was it because Chris Middleton was out and Scott Foster helped them a little bit? Sure. But then the breaks. They earned their spot in the finals, but I was so incredibly happy that last night was a funeral for the Celtics at home because I had had enough of this Celtics team. And I'll get into the Celtics for a second. But I want to give credit to the Warriors, right? Four titles in eight years, six finals appearances in eight years. And if Klay Thompson doesn't get hurt in 2019, odds are that's another title win for the Warriors. Just an incredible, incredible run. Hats off to Joe Lacob and Bob Myers. Joe Lacob was willing to spend for this team, even when the team was in transition after Kevin Durant left. Was still willing to pay Klay Thompson even though Klay Thompson had two major injuries, was still willing to pay Draymond Green, where most guys would say, all right, we had a great run, three titles, the run is over, it's time to just keep step and reboot. Nope. Nope, not the Warriors. They left that salary slot open when Kevin Durant left in trading for D'Angelo Russell in a side-and-trade, which then led to Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga. Just an unbelievable trade by the Golden State Warriors, a trade that I kind of poo-pooed at the time because I, like many people, was off the Andrew Wiggins thing, somebody who was chronically disappointing his years in Minnesota. Number one pick, your pick to be that guy, and he just didn't show like he had any interest in doing the little things to winning. But what do you know? You put him on this Warriors team, and... Right now, Andrew Wiggins can safely say that he was the second best player on a team that won an NBA title. 
If you would have told me that three years ago regarding Andrew Wiggins, I would have called you crazy. But yeah, so just an unbelievable trade by the Warriors and Bob Myers for getting super, super creative in trying to keep that cap flexibility open when Kevin Durant left. They were super creative in getting the cap flexibility. And again, they got lucky that there was a cap spike and whatnot to be able to get Kevin Durant. It's just a smart front office. Bob Myers is one of the best in the business and isn't nearly talked about that way. He, he's just as good as Sam Presti or any of these guys. He's incredible. He's sharp. And the proof is in the pudding. All right. Yeah. He has an owner with deep pockets who's willing to spend. But he's still making all the moves, all right? Kudos to Bob Myers. That that D'Angelo Russell trade for Andrew Wiggins and, and the pick is just awesome. And as I mentioned, credit to Andrew Wiggins. Transformed his career with this Golden State team. Now, he's an impending free agent. It'll be interesting to see what he decides to do, considering how he's enjoyed such incredible success with this Golden State team. And it transformed his career from what some people were going to call a career loser. And now he's in the perfect spot. Does he come back? Who knows? We'll see. And if you go somewhere else, can this success that he's learned in Golden State and had in Golden State, can it translate? I don't know. But I'm hoping he stays around because it's been he's been a pleasure to watch for them. And it can't be understated just how great he was in games four and five and really, really good in game six. So transformed his career. Happy for the guy. It, unbelievable. Talk about Draymond Green for a little bit. Draymond, you know, he's got a lot of enemies out there. A lot of guys don't like Draymond Green. And I'll admit, I'm a Draymond Green apologist. Draymond Green had some up and down moments in these playoffs. Game four was not very good. And Steve Kerr benched him for a large part in that fourth quarter. For a guy, Draymond Green's stature, who's meant that much to the franchise, that's a bold move. You know, Draymond could be a little volatile. It could run hot a little bit, to say the least. And his benching in the fourth quarter, now they brought him back in with about four minutes left in the fourth, and he made some great passes, but Draymond could have taken that some type of way, but he didn't. And in game six, Draymond Green was the second best player on the court. The second best player on the court. How many easy shots he got his team by the fact that he's able to rebound, push the ball in transition, and just find guys because of the pressure he puts on the defense, the fact that he can go coast to coast off the rebound. And let, that's not even taking into the account that he was everywhere on defense, whether it was guarding Jalen Brown, whether it was helping off of Jason Tatum drives where Tatum couldn't make a single layup. Again, we'll we'll get to Tatum in a second, but Draymond Green was absolutely incredible. And to top it all off, he hit the biggest shot of the night. So set the scene in the in the third quarter. The Warriors had just gone on another crazy stretch. They're up 22 points. And after that, Boston goes on an 11-0 run, cuts the lead to 11. I'm sorry, even cuts the lead to nine. It's a nine-point game late in, the four, late in the third quarter. Boston's got all the momentum. Jordan Poole drives to the basket, gets blocked out of bounds. I believe it was by Hal Hort. No, it was by Robert Williams. I'm sorry. Robert Williams blocks the ball out of bounds. 4.5 on the shot clock. Inbound to Draymond Green. 
looks around for a quick pass, nothing's there, pulls a 17 to 18 foot jumper, splash. And all the momentum that Boston had, it seems like it vanished like that. So for a guy who hadn't made a three all playoffs, who, by the way, made two threes in last night's game, and Boston's daring him to shoot, which was totally justified, he made the biggest shot of the night. And I have his group of friends, I've mentioned them before, we're in this WhatsApp group, and they're, they don't know anything about basketball because they're L.A. guys. All they know is is Kobe Bryant. They, they don't have an appreciation for anything else. They, their brains just can't compute certain things about the game. But I try to educate them once in a while. It doesn't always work. It flies over their heads. But it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Not everybody can be as sophisticated a basketball fan as me. But whatever. It's fine. And we were having this debate about Draymond Green because, you know, not Draymond rubs people the wrong way, and I get it. And, you know, that that's fine. We're having this debate about Dennis Rodman versus Draymond Green because it's very comparable in terms of what they do, you know, how they were able to contribute to win him in their careers. And I always said Draymond Green was Dennis Rodman 2.0. And they're like, Rodman in his best was better than Draymond Green in his best. If you watch the game last night, and have any idea what's going on, you would realize that Dennis Rodman couldn't do half the things that Draymond Green could do. Yeah, Rodman was a super versatile defender, maybe one of the best rebounders the league's ever seen. But Dennis Rodman couldn't push the ball in transition like Draymond Green. Dennis Rodman could not pass like Draymond Green. Dennis Rodman couldn't be trusted, you know, as not great a shooter that Draymond Green is. It still looks good enough where you have to honor it. And I, I just hearken back to, and this is a game they lost a couple of years ago. And again, Draymond's offense has fallen off a lot in the last couple of years. But if you go back to 2016 in Game 7, Draymond Green had a 31-point night in Game 7, one of the biggest games of his life, and basically had a triple-double. Dennis Rodman wasn't doing any of that, okay? It's just not in his arsenal. He's not capable. Not capable. So yeah, Draymond Green is twice the player that Dennis Rodman was. And Dennis Rodman was great, but that's how great Draymond Green is to this Warriors team. Would it look that way on another team? Maybe not. And yeah, the offense has fallen off a cliff. He hadn't made a three all finals. The jump shot is broken, but in the biggest game, in a clinching game, he was the second best player on the court and set the tone early by scoring a couple of buckets. And his run on Twitter today has been absolutely incredible. Just incredible content to watch because he's petty, he talks a ton of shit, and he has all the receipts to back it up. And it's just great. I, I absolutely love Draymond Green. On to Clay Thompson, who did not have a good game last night. It was just forcing everything in the third quarter. The Celtics were able to get back in the game because Clay Thompson took a couple of bad shots. Shot five for 20. He was rough. But in games four and five, I mean, game four was the Steph Curry 43-point game in Boston. Game four. But Clay Thompson chipped in in a major way. And game five, when Curry didn't have it shooting, Clay Thompson was really good. So I'm super happy for Clay. He's a, such a likable guy. To come back off of two major injuries to get back, good for him. His defense had gotten better, you know, as the series went on. Uh, good for Clay Thompson. I mean, Steve Kerr, what can you say about him? I know people like to detract his coaching ability because he's 
been blessed with this team. But he's a versatile coach, right? He's not married to a system. He also uses the regular season to build up his players. And sometimes it costs his team wins in the regular season, but he doesn't care because he uses it to build these guys up that if they're ever needed for a five to six minute stretch in the playoffs, they're ready. They're ready. A lot of the Kerr detractors are just like, why don't you let Steph Curry just run pick and roll more? Why not? Why with all the ball movement, the beautiful game stuff, it doesn't always work. Well, guess what? At the end of the game, when it was about a 10-point game, three or four minutes left in the fourth quarter, it was 1-4 pick and roll, Steph Curry, get Al Horford on a switch, good night. There's a versatility with Kerr. There's an ability to adapt with him that he doesn't get enough credit, and he's just a tremendous coach. But all of this, all of this Warrior success is all made possible because of one guy. And that's number 30, that's Steph Curry, who finally got his finals MVP. Yeah, he should have gotten it in 2015, but whatever. Doesn't matter. Steph Curry makes all this go round. Besides for his brilliance, offensive brilliance shooting the basketball, his handle is tight, his finishing at the rim is great, he's an underrated defender because he's gotten stronger, he's always in shape, but he also gives a shit. He gets, you know, in people's way, he cares, he puts an effort on that end, and yeah, he's not locked down, but that's more than you could say about other guys who he's compared to, a la James Harden, a la Kyrie Irving. He's the most unselfish superstar since Tim Duncan, okay? He, after winning two MVPs, one of them unanimous, right? After winning a title and then his team, him being the catalyst of a 73-9 and team. Yeah, they lost in the finals, whatever. He welcomed a guy who's considered an all-time great in Kevin Durant into his orbit and made it, made Kevin Durant's life so incredibly easy, okay? Make no mistake about it. As great as Kevin Durant was, Kevin Durant's not Steph Curry. Steph Curry is the meal and the cake, and Kevin Durant is the icing on the cake. Draymond Green talked about it on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about KD not getting double teamed ever because of Stephen Curry and Steph Curry was getting double teamed all the time. The statistics bear that out. Steph Curry was always the best player on this Warriors team. People don't like to talk about it because he's 6'3". And Kevin Durant looks like, you know, 6'11", incredible handle, super talented. And don't get me wrong, Kevin Durant's a great player. But there are levels to this, all right? Steph Curry is a builder of worlds. Kevin Durant just joins just joins worlds. And you saw that with Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. It's not a builder of worlds. Steph Curry's a builder of worlds. And again, besides for just the brilliance on the court, and he was brilliant in game six, and he was brilliant for five out of the six games, it's all the little stuff that he does. His willingness to move without the ball, his willingness to screen, his willingness to put an effort on defense, him always being in shape 12 months out of the year. And that's just the basketball stuff. He's humble. He doesn't meddle in the front office. He goes about his business like a pro. All right? 
and the results are the results. That's why you should never compare Kyrie Irving to him. You should never compare James Harden to him. And honestly, you shouldn't compare Kevin Durant to him either. There are two guys in this league right now who are just above and beyond everybody else in the way that they are makers of worlds for their franchise. Because of all the things I just said about Steph Curry, it's Steph Curry and it's Giannis. Both guys are humble. Both guys work exceedingly hard. Both guys are always in shape. Both guys are incredible teammates and inclusive teammates. And they go about their business. And that's why they've been, they've won the last two championships and the last two finals MVPs. It's what it is. We should have known. We should have known that Steph Curry was the orbit that everything revolved around. And it was funny. I saw it on Instagram today. J.J. Redick was doing a detail of Steph Curry's gravity with Marcus Smart. And it basically, just by him being who he is, the, the play didn't even end with Curry getting the basket, but just him willing to do you know, a simple cut without the ball, something that Damian Lillard doesn't do, who has similar range to Steph Curry, but Damian Lillard doesn't do these things. And Damian Lillard's a fine player. But Steph Curry, the way that he moves without the ball and, and the way he just gets other people involved, it ended with a Kevin Looney layup. He's just different. He's different. It's him, Giannis, and then there's a tier below. And if you want to include the top five guys, and something that this series proved that there's the Giannis and Steph tier, then there's Luka and Bede and Jokic, and then there's a sizable gap between everybody else. Tatum is, you know, 10th or 11th best player in the league, and you just saw the gap between him and a guy like Steph Curry. It's just an unbelievable Warriors run fueled by one of the great, great players of all time who's knocking on the door of top 10 status all time. Now, the major debate, has he passed Kobe Bryant in terms of all-time standing? I'm not there yet. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be shocked if it happens soon, next couple of years. But he's, he's just great. He's, he's the Tim Duncan of his era. And Tim Duncan had the Spurs be great for 17 years because the way he went about his business and how great a player he was. And Steph Curry is basically like that. Just, just an incredible, incredible player. And his professionalism permeates through the entire organization and sets the tone. Just, I couldn't be happier for the guy. And you saw that all of his teammates were so incredibly happy for him that he finally got this finals MVP that he was robbed of in 2015. And you know why he, they were so happy for him? Because he includes them in everything. He, he and Giannis are the definition of what you want your best player to be. Because the entire organization takes a cue from your best players. And those two guys are the two guys that do it better than anybody else right now. And that's why they were the last two champions, the last two finals MVPs. And I just hope, and again, I'm, Knicks, I'm a Knicks fan first, but I just hope that one time I get to see 
those two teams square off in the finals because it would be awesome. And it's just validation for everything that I knew to be true. Not trying to pat myself on the back here because I actually thought Phoenix was going to get back to the finals. But it's validation for all the things I hold true. So kudos to Steph Curry. Just what a pleasure it is to watch him play. And we're lucky. We're lucky to have guys like Steph Curry and Giannis to watch. Non-divas who go about their business the right way, bring everybody else up with them, and come through in the biggest moments. Just awesome. Now, I do have to go on a little bit of a rant because I know I've hated this Celtics team, and I just, I'm so happy that they lost. I'm done with Marcus Smart's shit, all right? The flopping, the reverting back to his true colors of taking terrible shots at terrible times, as Jeff Van Gundy called it on the broadcast, shooting turnovers led to Steph Curry, back-breaking threes. He was flopping till the very end. I'm tired of Marcus Smart, his stupid-ass hair. Now, he won Defensive Player of the Year and got absolutely roasted, all right? Not saying he's not a great defensive, defensive player, but there are levels to this. You're not a Defensive Player of the Year guy, as great as you player as he is. Should never have been Defensive Player of the Year. Whatever. Grant Williams, with his stupid flopping ass, had another one last night that almost got him Kevon Looney charged with a flagrant foul. Ridiculous. Had enough of him. Yeah, does it still bother me that he had an out-of-body experience in Game 7 against the Milwaukee Bucks to basically sink their season because I'm a Giannis guy? Yeah, can't stand Grant Williams. Can't stand his face. It's offensive to me. Jalen Brown, like... What are we doing? The ball handling's gross, absolutely gross. I, I, I can't get a handle on him. And Jason Tatum, last thing, Jason Tatum, the guy who, and I like Jason Tatum. Let me preface that. I like Jason Tatum. He's made incredible strides this year. I mean, he scored 46 points in Milwaukee to stave off elimination. Like, he's had big moments. But then it all comes out, as I mentioned on the last podcast, with the texting Kobe Bryant and and sharing it on social media. And the shit was just corny. It's just weird, man. And then in this series, going into last night, shooting about 33%. I mean, he was great from three, but can't finish a layup because everything has to try to be avoiding contact. Everything's got to be a shoulder fake. Now, again, he may have been injured. Hopefully, uh, it's nothing too serious. But, like, it just everything had to be weird like and, and fancy for the grandma. And then last night, the icing on the cake, 6 for 18, 13 points, 5 turnovers, 2 points in the second half. But he trained with Kobe Bryant, so it's fine. It's just corny, man. It was corny, and I'm just happy that this corny-ass Boston team got waxed on their home floor. It was great. It was great. And the Twitter jokes were great last night about you know, people saying that Kobe was going to block his number from the grave and there were other great jokes. But I enjoyed all that content, all of it, because I had enough of this Boston team. Had enough. Good stuff. Really, really good stuff. An enjoyable, enjoyable finals. And hopefully next year, if it's not the Knicks, we get the Bucks and the Warriors to square off because that's what NBA fans deserve. And yeah, Kevin Durant, super salty. You made a lot of bad decisions in your career, bud. 
made a lot of bad decisions. And Steph Curry won before you, he won with you, and he won after you. Kevin Durant realized he was never going to be the Ikar, as they say in, in Hebrew, the, the true essence of the Warriors. And because it's Steph Curry's world, and Steph Curry makes that organization go. Ah, felt good. It really, really good watching experience. Congratulations to the Warriors. Congratulations to Steph Curry. Just great, great stuff. With that said, we're going to talk a little bit more about the NBA Finals. We're going to delve into the NBA Draft. And we may be talking a little bit about my beloved New York Knicks and their offseason and their draft plans in just a matter of moments. This episode of the For the Love of the Game show on the Belief Podcast is brought to you by AutoApprove. AutoApprove is an online service that makes vehicle refinancing easier and faster. AutoApprove connects vehicle owners with a network of top credit unions, banks, and finance companies to find the best available interest rates. That helps you handle the paperwork, simplifying the vehicle refinancing process from the beginning to end and putting money back in your wallet. Take your tag light to the next level with more money in your pocket. Not only will you save thousands on your auto loan with working with AutoApprove, but for all listeners that refinance through AutoApprove, they will send you $100 cash to your mailbox. That's right. They'll not only help you lower your monthly payment, but if you use AutoApprove promo code slash believe, they'll send you $100 back cash back. To find out how much you can save and claim your $100 cash back again, go to AutoApprove.com slash believe. AutoApprove. Save money on your car loan. So, as I mentioned, we're going to talk a lot about basketball happenings. Talked about it in the monologue. I have a very special guest, a first-time guest on the program, somebody who I go back and forth with on a weekly basis, literally, but and we've been planning this for a while. It's Alex Tosopoulos of the Believe Podcast family. Alex, what's good, buddy? Finally sitting down. We're finally getting after it. This is great. <laughs> ATH, I'm I'm happy to be here, dude. Uh, we we it's been too, it's been long coming, uh, and I'm finally finally here, and hopefully I don't disappoint. First time guest, but no, hopefully not on. not the I, last. I can't time. imagine. I, I I follow your Twitter content, so I, I can't imagine you would disappoint. And plus, you don't always yeah, you don't always agree with it, but that's but that's, that's what fine. makes for a good that's follow. Fine. Yeah. That's, that's called discourse. I appreciate that you're a. Uh, a hoops head just like me, Mavericks fan. Before we get into all that, first question is for the Warriors. Obviously, champions, four times champion in the last eight years. If you had one big picture takeaway from this Warriors run going forward, what is it? I think it's that buy-in is maybe the most important thing on an NBA franchise. And, and what I mean by buy-in is every guy knowing their role, right? These other guys, they were playing as hard as they were playing for Steph. Of course, they were trying to go and get a championship, but what it meant to Steph Curry, I mean, you saw it, it, it before the game had even been blown dead, like before it had even finished, he was crying on the court. And it meant so much for him, obviously. And of course he gets that, you know, the finals MVP finally has that on his resume. Um, but just the way that these guys talk about each other, like you can tell that 
there's a true foundation that this franchise was built upon and everyone buys into that when they join the team. And um, it, it seems like a sappy thing to bring up, but it really has an impact. I mean, I, I think you look at the team that they, they beat, that team also had that. They had that built into them, the, you know, the dog and Marcus Smart that, that spreads over to, to Jalen Brown. And, and he's a, a very vocal leader and Tatum's kind of a lead by example guy, but you know, Al Horford, what, what he did in the playoffs, both of those teams really had um, a, a good fabric to them. And I think it, it starts from the top, but the Warriors team, you know, the pedigree is there for a reason. They've been and won that many times for a specific reason. I think the continuity factor is, a, is an added benefit as well. I mean, you're playing with the same guys, right? Four, four of those guys on that roster have won four rings together, Iguodala, Clay, Steph, and Draymond Green. So I, I'm not surprised that they won. I think a lot of people at the beginning of the season were like, watch out for the Warriors. If they're healthy and everything's clicking, they could make a run. And they did. And, and here they are, champions. Yeah, I said it in the monologue. Curry, he makes the whole thing go because of his demeanor, his inclusiveness as a teammate. And you could see that in their reactions immediately when the game was over, that they – we're so happy for him, knowing what was coming, that this finals MVP that had been eluding him for some time now, rightfully or wrongfully so, but whatever, that's a different discussion, that they yeah. were so incredibly happy for him. And it's just because he, the way he goes about his business, not just right. on the court, the way he's willing to play unselfishly on the court, but also just he doesn't get in the way of ownership. He doesn't get in the way of like the front office. He just he's just an even keeled guy who brings people together and it's great. And, you know, it's just a pleasure to watch. And there's a reason that the last two champions, the finals MVP is Giannis and Curry. And it's because they handle their business the same way. There's no drama. There's no nothing. They're always in shape. They take it seriously. They play hard all the time. It's wonderful. And I'm ha I, I can't stress how happy I am for him. And I'm a Giannis guy, as everybody well know, well knows that. And I just want them to play in the finals. My biggest takeaway was Which that they, I, think, I think they, I think they would have if Middleton. Oh no, I think hurt. they would have too. Yeah, I think yeah. they would have too. I mean, I still thought Phoenix was going to get back to the finals only because they had a profile, a regular season profile, where over 85 percent of the time, a team with that profile makes the finals. So it was crazy that they – it was kind of crazy that they didn't. But, yeah, no, it, it was it was awesome. It was awesome, and I hope we get that finals next year, assuming that my – you know, your Mavericks and my Knicks are not going to be involved. I, th I think as objective observers, we, we would want that finals. My biggest takeaway is I think the Warriors are going to be better next year, right? Because you saw Clay was rusty coming back. You know, he had moments, but he was rusty. Another year of Jordan Poole. Wiggins fitting in again. I mean, the, will they bring back Kevon Looney? I think so. I think Joe Lacob really doesn't care about the luxury tax, especially if a team is this close to winning. Um, and the young guys. I mean, Jonathan Kaminga is going to be something. So it's another year of him. It's another yeah. year of Moses Moody, right? Uh, if they bring back GP2, like, I think they're going to be better next year. And the prohibitive favorite to win the Western Conference again next year. For sure. I completely agree. I think um, 
I think the key piece there to me is, is Gary Payton. I think he has to come back. Yeah. Um, I, he's a, he's a free agent. Of course, you, you might have to spend a little bit more than you'd like to on him. Um, Looney, he had a great playoff run. I don't think you have to get as picky with him because I think the idea is that James Wiseman will step into some of those minutes, right? If he's healthy. Um, the, the key that a lot of people are, are just not seeing, or maybe they're not understanding is that Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga have now played in a Western conference finals and yeah. stepped on the court in an NBA finals. That means something, even just yeah. being in that moment, stepping on the court, it's something that they've already done. And they're surrounded of course, by the other greatness with, with Steph and clay. I think you're absolutely right on the money with clay. Um, he's not, he was not even back yet. Like he really hasn't, maybe he'll never get to where he was. I don't think he will, but he'll get in better conditioning. The legs will, st- they'll continue to improve just from the a strength confidence standpoint. The movements will get yes. better. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I even think he, you, it, it showed right defensively, like he got better throughout that series. Some of it is figuring guys out what they like their tendencies, of course. Um, but the trust in his own body, I think w- was getting there as well. And yeah, he doesn't necessarily have the same first step when, it, when he puts the ball on the floor, but who knows in an off season where he continues to rehab, we might see, you know, 85% of what he used to look like offensively and the shooting will always be there. So right. um, I, I completely agree with you. Draymond, I'm a little bit more worried about from a physical standpoint, how he can continue to, uh, to hold up. Um, he, he plays a grueling brand of basketball when he's not, you know, yelling at everyone on the court. Um, but are, hold on one second. Are you, yeah. are you a Draymond guy? Oh, I was, I, I, I'm ribbing him a little bit, but I am a Draymond guy. I think. Oh my, I'm a Draymond guy. I, I find him fascinating. I find him exceedingly entertaining. And one thing I'm always a sucker for is when, you know, guys talk crap. When you back it up and you're on the mountaintop and you keep all the receipts and you shove it in dudes faces. I love that. I think that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I think, I think like, he relentlessly does that. Does he need to do it to the extent that he does? No, but give me all of it. Give you me all of it. it. You're, I'm, you're I'm with it. it. I'm just with it. You know what? Cause then, well, when, when you have to take your medicine, you just gotta be quiet then. Right. But right now he's, he's at the top of the mountain and he's got full rain and I'm here for it. Yeah. Everybody, everybody talks when they're up. Isn't that uh, what a guy said this past playoff run? My yeah. guy, Luca. No, I mean, I game six, Draymond was, he was incredible. Second he really best was. player on the court. hundred percent. He was everywhere. He was pushing pace. He was rebounding. He was in the right spot defensively. He's probably the best help defender in the NBA. Um, and, and what he can do from a passing standpoint, I know like the, the Warriors traditionally, you know, this, this past year and the past three years, turn a, turn the ball over. I think some of that is them just risking it offensively, but there's not many big men that can pass like Draymond outside of Jokic and, Sabonis, I, there's really like I think those are the three best passing big men in the NBA. Oh, it, it, and and Giannis, I guess, but it's different. It looks different. No, but yeah. I agree. I agree with you. And you you mentioned, by the way, the Draymond contract negotiation. Given what all you just said about his body and him holding up, because we've seen the tail off offensively, is going to be really interesting. But I mean, he's such a staple there that I can't imagine that that he's going to leave. They'll, they'll come to some t- sort of agreement, even though the luxury tax bill is going to be enormous. But again, the rights are up. They're going to make more money on the TV deal. Yeah, they don't, they don't care. Yeah, yeah it mean, doesn't they, matter. 
the Wiseman thing is interesting with Looney, right? Because Wiseman, again, has pedigree as a number two pick, right? Is he going to want to come in and, you know, try to assert his dominance as a number two pick? Like, that's not the way this works with this team. And so it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him if they if they move him. I, I don't know. It, it's going to be weird. But the fact that they won a title after getting the number two overall pick two years ago and not getting any production out of him is nuts. It's crazy. And then they have two lottery picks the following season. I, I really love, though, that Steph, you know, I don't know if it was post-game or just kind of like in the, in the following days, was like, I want Poole to be an all-star. You know, like Draymond wants the best things for Wiseman. We want Kaminga to be a guy who's one of the best swing men in, in the game. Like Moody yeah. is a three and D guy that we think can can live up to the hype and, and hopefully he can become something that, that Clay has too. Like they've got the fabric of just continuing this for, for the next yeah. 10 years. Like and and if you know the TV rights, like you mentioned, and with the Chase Center and, and everyone loving the new the new stadium, um, they're in such a great position. You're they're 100 percent odds on favorite to win next year. And I think the bucks would be too. And then after that, you know, it, it's kind of up to de- up for debate, but. And when you hit on Jordan Poole at the 28th pick, that's like the most valuable thing you can have. It's just nuts. The, the embarrassment of riches is, is crazy. So that's a lot of warriors talk. One big takeaway for you for the Celtics after this series going forward. I think, um, yeah, don't, don't get too far ahead of yourself. Don't, don't, buy into any of the the harsh critiques that are out there, you know, kind of just block out the noise, get back to work, get back in the lab, work on what you have to work on. Cause there's room for growth for Brown and Tatum. We saw that, yeah. right. It's very apparent. Um, and then for the front office, it's go get, go get another ball handler. You desperately need another ball handler. Um, go get some more wings that you can at least just spell Brown and Tatum. So they don't have to play 42 minutes, every single playoff game. Yeah. And, um, and tell Aaron Neesmith to get to work. Yeah. Like <laughs> try and get him to become something right. He, he played no minutes. So I, it's tough. That's like one thing that Bill Simmons like harps on like crazy, the Aaron Neesmith thing. It's because obviously Desmond Bain was in that draft. You see what he's doing for Memphis. And it's like, would Neesmith be doing that in Memphis? Would Bain be riding the bench in Boston? Like it's crazy. Like, I don't know. At some point, you're going to have to play this guy just to see what he is. Uh, but for well, me, they took, I mean, from a yeah. draft standpoint, like they, they took a guy, they took a huge risk, a guy that was the, the clear, at least from, you know, the, the big boards projection, the best shooter in the draft. Right. But it was also a guy who was coming off a severe injury. Um, and, and there was a lot of hesitancy with that, or at least there should have been. And I think they were kind of like, we like the core that we have. So we're not so worried about that. Um, and Langford was coming off an injury when they drafted him too. Bain was not Bain had just played a full season. Like sometimes you just gotta, you gotta pick for guys that can come in and be a rotational piece. And then you get the extra juice of a guy like Bain who now has turned into almost a fringe all-star this past year. Um, but it's this, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I never, I didn't really like the pick when it happened when they picked Neesmith, I definitely didn't like the Langford pick. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of biting them in the ass now. So it's hard to be too critical about the draft because it's such a crapshoot, right? And especially where the Celtics were drafting, like they thought those picks were going to be higher up based on the trades that they made and they just didn't land that way. It's just, it's just weird. Where, where are you, uh, on Marcus Smart? 
Are you a Marcus Smart guy? Are you uh, a Marcus Smart skeptic? Where are you? Well, he is from Flower Mound, which is right outside of Dallas. So I, I you know, okay. because of that, I, I do appreciate, as I mentioned, he's a dog, right? Like there's not, there's few guys in the NBA that have the same type of fight in them that Marcus Smart does. Um, I think he has gotten over some of his antics, at least in this last playoff run. I mean, he was so instrumental in getting them to where they were that it, it's hard to be hypercritical of him. I actually think that as far as the way that they were playing offensively in the half court, outside of Tatum, he was the second best creator on that team. I think Jalen Brown hit a lot more clutch shots than he did. But, you know, when a guy's coming at you on the closeout, Marcus Smart was able to break guys down. He still makes some errant passes. Um, he still is a little trigger happy from three. But he is who he is, right? Like, he's going to get you a couple of possessions on the defensive end. He's going to try as best he can to wear down their best guard. Um, but that's why I said they need another ball handler because it's not just Marcus, right? Like, I'm not saying get rid of him, but bring someone in to, to help. A guy like Ricky Rubio, who's available, I think makes a lot of sense. I don't want them to go after Malcolm Brogdon because he has such a bad injury history that you just you can't really rely on him. What about you? What do you, what do you think they should do? Uh, I mean, I'm always a Marcus Smart skeptic. Like, he's got way too much of I got this for a guy who shouldn't be the I got this guy. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see less of him. I think he made tremendous improvements uh, in the second half of the year in terms of being a primary creator uh, as a point guard. But again, like in the playoffs, your warts show, right? I mean, and maybe it's growth, maybe it's not. I, if I was the Celtics, the two guys I'd be looking at are, are Rubio and Joe Ingles. Uh, I know they're both coming off of injuries, but like, you know, low risk players that can really help them because yeah, the, the ball handling was, was bad. Tatum's handle isn't tight enough. Jalen Brown really doesn't know how to dribble. Like every time he'd put the ball on the floor more than twice, it was a steal. Like, yeah. So yeah, my, my big takeaway with the Celtics are they could easily be better next year and not make it out of the second round. And just looking at the landscape of the East because Miami's going to be up to something. You know, the Don, Pat Riley, always has something up his sleeve, right? And there are moves to be made. Milwaukee, I think, was the best team in the league this year when healthy, the most dangerous team. I think that's the case going into next season in the East. I always give Embiid the benefit of the doubt because Embiid is, you know, a top five player in the league. And if you're going to go on the premise of who can win a series, the best player in the series he generally wins. Celtics, Philly, I still feel good about Embiid doing that, even though I'm the biggest James Harden hater on the planet and whatever. But yeah, no. So for me, it's the, the Celtics need to stay the course, understand that they may not get as far next year as they did this year. And Chris Vernon on the, uh, the Ringer NBA show said, no, guys don't win generally until they're 27, 28 years old. If you look at the history of all the great players in the league, right? So right. if you if you think that Tatum can get there, and again, the jury's out, we're going to see, but he's 24, right? Like Giannis won last year, 26. Curry won at 28. Jordan won at 28. LeBron won at 28. Like that's when it happens for guys. So try not to get too, too far ahead of yourselves. But yeah, that's the NBA finals. And I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. I know the... The, the scores weren't that close, but I, I still thought 
it was exceedingly compelling. So your yeah. Dallas Mavericks, before we get into the NBA draft that this that's this week, your Dallas mm-hmm. Mavericks, first of all, they made a trade, trade season, brought in Christian Wood from the Houston Rockets. Didn't give up a whole lot. What were your thoughts on the trade? Yeah, I mean, I think they quickly and clearly addressed a, a need, an apparent need um, coming off of a Western Conference Finals run, which I, uh, just like the Celtics getting to the finals, I did not expect from the Mavericks. I, you know, I think that when you have a player like Luca, similar sense, he's obviously a very different player than Embiid, um, but similarly to, you know, him and Giannis and Jokic, um, he can take a series over and, and win you a series, which I think he absolutely did in that Sun series. He's a huge part, of course, that that game seven. He basically outscored the Suns by himself in that first half. Yeah, um, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was about as good as it could have been for me as a fan watching that game. Um, Christian Wood, I, I think the key part of it is you didn't give up much. This is a draft, and I know we're going to get into it, but it was the 26th pick, right? You're, it, you're shooting. It's it's tough, right? Like there's no guarantee. The odds you're of hitting hit. that pick are are really small. It's small. I mean, if you do, it's the most valuable commodity in the league because you have the guaranteed contract for right. four years at a lower number. Whereas, like, if you hit it at a guy in the second round, they can be out after two years and get paid quicker. But it, the success rate is tough. It's it's really tough. So. They give up that pick. Of course, that's the the thing of most value in this trade that the Mavs are giving up. Um, you know, they give up Boban, Trey Burke. I don't even remember who the other two. But here's the thing. They, okay, Boban. Was Maxi, gonna, was Maxi Kleba in the trade? He was not. He was not. So they still retain Kleba. Right now, Powell is still on the roster. Whether you think that's a good thing or, or a bad thing is, you know, up for debate at, at his price point. I, I'd say it's a bad thing uh, at this point. But you bring Christian Wood in, it's a contract year. He's not making that much money right now. Um, so hopefully, you know, he'll be playing for that money and he'll, he'll give that extra effort. He's not the best defensive player. Um, but if you look at the Mavs defensive metrics with Kristaps Porzingis on the floor last year, they weren't, they weren't that bad. It really wasn't that big of a drop off from when we didn't have Kristaps on the floor. Um, of course, you know, he's 7'3", Christian Wood's 6'10", 6'11". Um, so there's a, there's a difference there. And I would say Kristaps is, you know, a more reliable shot blocker, but Christian Wood can move a lot better than, than Kristaps can. So it's give and take. He was a fantastic rim runner when Harden was in Houston. Um, and I think obviously the heliocentric style of basketball that, that Luca plays that the maps have, have operated within uh, offensively lends itself to Christian Wood being the best version of, of the guys that were available to pair with Luca. Um, and I really, really like the trade because you're just opening up three roster spots. So say you're swapping, you're swapping Boban and Christian Wood. And then those other three guys that basically were just doing nothing on the Mavs bench, except eating, eating cap and not playing any minutes and had no prospect of taking that next level jump. we talk about guys like Jordan Poole. We talk about like, you mentioned the heat, right? Like Max Struess, Gabe, Gabe Vincent, those guys started in the NBA journeys either in the G league or from roster spot eight to 15. And I think for, for a franchise to win, you have to do what the Warriors do. If you're not getting guys like Iguodala who actually can play valuable playoff minutes, I know he was dealing with an injury. You better be trying to get guys that are young that you think can grow into something. And I think that that's something that the maps 
really did a poor job of before Nico Nicotera um, got there. And I think that he's clearly trying to make an emphasis uh, on, you know, trending in that direction. And that's what makes me most excited is like, who can we get with this, with the veteran minimum? Who can we get with our mid-level now? Um, we've opened up these roster spots um, to potentially bring in some new faces and, and that excites me. Does it make you a little nervous that Christian Wood's been on so many teams in his brief NBA career and that he's never really been a part of a winning organization and he has scars because of it? No. Because it could go either way, right? Because, like, listen, you could say that, you know, he was put in situations that were bad. You know, Detroit was not good. The Houston situation after Harden basically torpedoed his way out of there was bad. You know, that that's not really his control, right? But, right. like, there are also bad habits that you pick up by just being a bad, you know, bad team, good stats guy. Sure, sure. I think that's the risk, right? Um Everything and what they else, gave up, the risk was worth it. hundred percent, because you're looking at a guy, you know, you missed on that pick with Josh Green, different front office, but again, just more fodder to our argument that you never know if you're going to hit even in a first round pick. Um, and the other guys weren't playing. So to me, it's like, even if Christian Wood is a net negative, like, are you that much worse off than you were last year when you made the Western Conference right. finals? No. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think the, the criticisms of him are fair. Um, I don't think he really did enough consistently to, to warrant the contract that he's currently on. Um, but I do think he showed great flashes for a guy that was not a highly touted NBA prospect coming into the league. So high level yeah. Mavericks question for you. Yeah. All right. Luca ball. Where do you stand on Luca Ball? Is this how the Mavericks are going? To, are the Mavericks going to win big with Luca dominating possessions as much as he does? Or is he going to have to find a balance, some type yeah. of balance in terms of empowering his teammates to take over a little bit? And does he remind you more of James Harden level heliocentricism or LeBron heliocentricism? Because there's a difference, right? In okay. terms of results. Certainly. Where where do you stand on this? So I think my inkling is that like that's your biggest criticism of the maps, right? Is that like what what is it, does it has this team plateaued? Is there only a certain level that they can reach to with the current iteration of basketball? Well, not just playing? that. It's also a, a, are they conditioning themselves to only being able to play one way? Sure. I think that part of that this year was personnel, right? And that they, sure. they didn't necessarily have as many offensive options as I would like to see out of this team. Um, to me, again, we just mentioned for Tatum. Luca is not a perfect player. He still has things to add to his bag. He's added this, this uh, high post game where he just cooks guys. He's of course got the excellent pivot work. He's got the step back three. He has no catch and shoot three game right now. He has no off ball movement. What can he do off of the cut? He needs to watch Steph Curry. He's a completely different athlete and player than Steph Curry, right. but it doesn't mean that he can't take things from what Steph does. And, and again, as you mentioned, like Steph drives the Warriors offense. He is 
the foundation of everything that they do offensively. He, he draws that much attention, even when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, even more so when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Right. So I think well, that Luca, Luca's not that level three point shooter. I mean, and, and, but that's, that's one thing to work on. Right. For me, right. it's, it's, it's how much better can Luca get as a player. And that doesn't necessarily just mean getting better as a three point shooter where he's adding new things. But I think a, a lot of times, um, you, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Simmons and Rosillo. One thing that I think Rosillo has kind of hammered um, on the way that Luca plays. And one thing he can get better at is like a lot of times he's within 10 feet of the hoop and he doesn't go up and he's right. six, eight and he's, and he's got a big broad body. He's got that weird funky change of pace that no one can seem to, you know, get a hold of almost slow-mo Kyle Anderson-esque. And I think he defers to his shooters at times where he shouldn't where in those moments, when you're talking about the heliocentric style that LeBron plays, he goes up, he gets the and one, of course, different athlete. He can finish at the rim and finish above the rim, you know, in a different way that Luca will never be able to, but Luca can surprise you with his athleticism at times where he puts it down. He's so close to the rim anyway, where he just, all he has to do is reach up basically. Um, so I think it's very, very strong. So I think that those are the two things I'd like to, you know, see him get better at. Of course, if the free throw shooting ever gets above 80%, um, that's a massive added element as well. But to me, it's adding complementary pieces from personnel standpoint. You know, there's, there's been rumors floated of the Zach Levine. If Luca's attacking and, and he gets to Zach Levine, who can shoot spot up threes incredibly well, but if a guy has a hard closeout on him and he beats him, you better have two defenders to rotate towards him because he is quick getting to the paint and he's going to boom it on your head if you don't get a guy rotated. So it's, it's about finding the right. Be nice fit. It be really, nice fit. Yeah. My thing with Luca is I just don't want him to devolve into Harden and all the bad habits that James Harden has the one too many garbage step back threes, the, you know, dribble, dribble, dribble. And again, Luca's better at it now than Harden ever was even in sure. his MVP season. But I just, and I see it more like LeBron in his Cavs teams, especially in like like the 2018 Cavs team. I see Luka more in that mold than the Harden mold. But I just want Luka to, if, if he took it back a little bit on his own, right, in terms of his own stuff and empowered a guy like, and we'll get to him, Jalen Brunson, who showed flashes, and you're going to have a major decision to make on him. Sure. There's got to be some type of balance, and it's on Luca, it's on the coaching staff, and it's on the front office to figure that out. Because you, you realize, like Dorian Finney-Smith is more valuable to the Mavericks than most other teams because he's low maintenance and he's willing to do the dirty work and watch Luca do his thing. Right? Not every player wants to necessarily sign up to play with that. You know, we've seen guys not play well with LeBron because of that. We've seen guys sure, sure. not play well with Harden because of that. Like Chris Paul was like, I've had enough of this shit. Like people how about, how about Kobe Bryant? How about Kobe Bryant? Yeah, right. same kind of thing. Kobe was was a little bit more of an assassin. Like Luca dishes the ball out. But again, yeah, it's, yeah. Different. it's different when you're dishing the ball out after the same guy dribbles for 17 seconds and a catch and shoot three. It's just, he needs to find some type of balance. Well, and it's also on kid to do that. For sure. I think here's when it looks really ugly, right? Is when they get into possessions too late because then he has to go to the step back. Then he right. can only, he can, if there's only 11, 
seconds left on the clock before they get into something. You know, they tried a, a high pick and roll at, at 18, but it didn't work or they took too long getting the ball up. Then it looks really gross. Like it's it, cause yeah. then it's just, it's going to be a deferential step back three from Luca. And if you're a defense, you're saying, fine, that's fine. We'll take that. Yeah. Because the only guy that I think is going to make a three point shot every time he shoots it in the NBA is Steph Curry. That's the only guy. And every other player I can, I can talk myself into like, that's fine. We'll take that. We'll live with that. They want to live and die by the three. So be it. Um, and then it's also when the other guys get stagnant and they don't move, there's no other off ball movement screens. Um, when Dorian Finney Smith cuts and Luca hits him, he got a lot of easy buckets at the rim. Um, I also think it's a, a, a reason why he got a lot of offensive putbacks too, is because from a defensive rebound standpoint, the opposition that was playing the Mavericks never really thought anything of their second effort if no one was crashing the glass, because we didn't really have any other guy that could do that. And, you know, Dwight, Dwight Powell loves the little tip out to the shooters, but you're, you're absolutely right. He just needs to continue to trend towards LeBron, but LeBron played with Kyrie Irving too, who's one of the best ISO basketball players ever. So again, to my like Zach Levine point, and it's, if you think Jalen Brunson can become a guy where if he catches off the pass, can he always break a guy down and be a great safety valve? Then you got to sign him. You got to go with him because, um, well, that's fine. That, well, that's my next question. So if you're running the Mavs, what do you do with Jalen Brunson? I, I, tr- I try and re-sign him. If that's the move, then maybe, you know, you, you, you try and trade Dinwiddie or Hardaway or Bertans. Um, I love the Hardaway fit on this team, but I think that where his contract's at and his value as a shooter that you can get a decent return for him. Um, if it's packaged with the right things, uh, I, I feel less positively about a Dinwiddie trade. Um, Bertans, I just want to move off of that contract, but I do think that like he's decent. So does, every, so does everybody else. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he made big shots in the playoff run. Um, no, he was if, a net positive for them for what they thought yeah. they were going to get. I, I, I trust Jalen Brunson and I trust his absolute, hunger for winning and being the best version of himself that he can be. And um, he's continuously improved, although he came into the NBA um, as an older guy, right? He was a four-year player at Villanova, um, but he was also a Naismith player of the year. So I'm not surprised that he's grown and and become the guy that he is, but I think he can get even better, even at 26, where he is right now. Like, I think there's still room for him to improve. And he seems to like playing with Luca for the most part, I, I, you know, he, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. So you can tell when he's not happy. Um, but I think he likes the culture of this Mavs team. And I think that he believes that they're a contender and, and with that wants to play for this team. And if he's on a contender, I think he'll, he'll always bring it. If he's not, you know, he's not going to go chase the back. He's already been out there and said that he was on Duncan Robinson's podcast saying how much he didn't like playing with Rick Carlisle. So I think this has been the best version of the NBA experience that he's had um i'd like to see him resign jim brunson well I'll, I'll say this as a team that's look you know a fan of a team that's looking into him as well i think he fits a lot better with you guys than with my new york knicks um that's for certain i wouldn't want to pay him the the number that it's being rumored and not because i don't like him as a player trade i do you like the trade up for ivy much better i mean that that my my first choice i mean my 
it's hard to say between that and and go and trying to get Donovan Mitchell. Um, the Knicks are, are all over the place, but yeah, I, I mean those those are my two, you know, choice one A and one B. Um, Brunson would make me a little nervous only because he's not playing with a guy like Luca. Uh, do the Mavericks have enough flexibility to bring him in with Levine, or would it have to be one or the other? I'm assuming it has to be one or the other. I don't. I think we have enough financial flexibility, but is Chicago getting in return what they want? No. Um, right. So that's the that's the issue there. It'll be interesting. It'll be super interesting what the Mavs do. And last, last question about the Mavs. Does the Mavericks have this feel of pre-Miami Heat, Cavs, LeBron teams at all to you? Are you a little nervous about that? Because again, they made the finals in 2007. That was not a very good team. It's probably LeBron's Biggest accomplishment taking that team to the finals at 23 yeah. beyond all the championships he's won. But we know how it ended, right? We know how that era of Cleveland basketball ended. Is there a small part of you that fears that same thing? No, only for the reason of what we saw last week, because Nico Nico Terra, I think, has a, a at least with what he's done so far, a decent understanding that it's not just Luca by himself. Right. And I think that that LeBron Cavs version before he got to Miami, I mean, his supporting cast was terrible. Uh, I mean, the best player, so Jonas Ogaskis was a two-time all-star, but it was pre 2005. Larry Hughes um, was a good player in the NBA. You know, he, I think he led the league in steals a couple times. A lot of like a fringe all-star guy. A lot of old but veterans like, they brought in. I can't say that Larry Hughes or Zydrunas Olgaskis are better than even KP. Like, KP is a better player than both those guys. And Brunson, I think, is probably better than both of those guys, or at least the version we saw in the playoffs. Right. Chris, Christian Wood at his best as your fourth best guy on the team. Like, I don't know. I just – I think across the board, the framework of this team – um, seems more talented. I know, you know, it's, it's flip floppy, right. For a lot of Mavs fans where when we're losing, they say our personnel sucks. When we're winning, we're saying we've got the right people in place. But I think if you objectively look roster to roster, the Mavericks have more talent, especially the current version of the Mavericks right now than LeBron ever had on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, one of the years, the second best player on the team was Mo Williams who like, I'm a fan of Mo Williams, but he's not the second best player on a, a contending title team. A team that won 66 games, which is crazy. In 2009, they won 66 games, and he was LeBron James is an incredible basketball player. Yeah, that's when when he was likable. Uh, all right. So the NBA draft is this week. Yep. On Thursday, um, I I'll admit I kind of got into the draft a little bit later this year, so I'm not fully fully prepped. Just to give everybody a little overview, there's a clear top three in terms of the bigs that are going to go in this draft, at least according to all the mocks, right? So we've got Bancaro from Duke. We've got Jabari Smith from Auburn. And we've got Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga. Uh, People put Jaden Ivey, the guard from Purdue, in that tier of prospect, but they don't think he's going to go in the top three. So my question to you is this. 
out of the three big guys who are slated to go top three, which one do you like the most and why? In what sense? Because I think that what you're asking, like if you if, if you get into specific ask, like the answer could change. So, so in, in the sense of, I guess we'll put it as a two-part question because I agree with you, it's a nuanced answer, right? So let's go for the magic first. Who should the magic take one? Given their roster constraints and given the, or do you just believe in take the best player available? Like, what do you do if you're the magic? No, because I think, I think best player available at one isn't necessarily a thing. Like to me with how close, how close I believe Paolo and Chet Holmgren are, I have Jabari. um, It's, it's, to me, it's, it's one A, one B and then two. Um, and Jabari Smith is two because I don't think he has the same ceiling um, that that Paolo does, that Chet does. Immediate playing, immediate playtime in the NBA, immediate impact. I think Chet to me is the highest because of what he does defensively, and I don't think he slows an offense down. Um, he played with Jalen Suggs growing up; they're from the same area. Um, I, I think you know pairing the two of them together would be really exciting. Um, I'm a bit worried if the magic take Jabari because he can't really create his own shot off the dribble. He's a good spot up three point shoot. Uh, he's got some of the most technically sound form from a big yeah. guy I've, I've ever seen. Um, he's got a good, like high post, almost KP esque of, you know, shooting over a guy that's smaller than him. He's good at that. You know, he he's broad across the shoulders. I think he can put on, he's going to be able to put on weight pretty well. He defends, you know, he's a versatile defender three to five. I would say leaning more four or five, um, but he doesn't have the rim protection skills that Chet does. And he doesn't have the handle that could develop into, you know, what's so enticing about Chet is that there's not many guys that we've seen from a prospect standpoint that could handle the ball at that size. Kevin Durant is really, is really the best, that best version of that. I'm not saying Chet's going to be that. No, but, of course. No, I understand. I, I, I but, think but, listeners should understand too. I, you know, but the thing is that Chet Holmgren's like 190 pounds, right? right? So it's like, it's like he has all those intangibles, but we've never seen a guy that thin at that height who's got a little bit of a hunch to him sure. succeed, right? And he does have the most upside, but it's just, it's a little scary. It's a little scary. You know, each of the top guys have a drawback, right? So Chet, it's it's his, you know, physical makeup, right? I'm not nervous about the fact that he didn't get to showcase certain things at Gonzaga because we've seen guys who have been high usage guys in high school. They fit in in a college program, and then in the NBA, they can spread their wings, especially with Mo- big guys. Mo- Mobley. I mean, Mobley is a great yeah. example of that. Great example, right? Great example. But it's just, you know, the body freaks people out. So that's for Unchet, right? Jabari Smith, it's the, can he create his own or maybe for others that right now, you know, is so incredibly valuable in the NBA, having multiple guys just to be able to, you know, do things with putting the ball on the floor. And his two-point numbers were atrocious in at Auburn. And, you know, his guards didn't help him, right? They had a terrible set of guards who basically tried to freeze him out to get their own. But, you know, the stats are the stats. So what do we make of that? So that's Jabari Smith. 
Paolo is probably the most polished offensively of all of them, but defensive limitations with him. And so, yeah, I, which brings me to my next question. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. I was go just going to say, I, I was just going to say, so I, to clarify, like I, if I'm the magic, I like Chet because I think he makes an immediate impact to make this team a little bit better, but he has the prospect of developing offensively and, you know, year four past where he can make, he can be a, a perennial all-star kind of guy. I really think he has that in him. I, I don't I know about, I don't know about, I don't know about like first team all NBA. Cause he's going to have a lot of competition. Um, you know, Nikola Jokic just won back-to-back MVPs. So yeah. he's, he's not going anywhere. Giannis isn't going anywhere. Embiid, I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, Mobley is just going to get better. You know, you've got guys like Jared Allen, bam. There's, there's like a lot of a good mix of cat, um, a good mix of bigs in the NBA that he'll be competing against. Paolo is, I think has the, to me, he feels like the most to be a lock to be, you know, a five plus all-star guy because I think that he's just going to be able to score the rock at his size, his shooting stroke, his smooth smoothness offensively. It's going to be a similar, you know, your, your Knicks guy, Carmelo Anthony, can he buy in defensively? Does he care enough defensively to buy in and make an impact there? And does he become Glenn Robinson? You don't necessarily want that. Um, So that my that brings me to my next question. Okay. Jaden Ivey at four. Doesn't look like he's going to go top four. But if you think that he is on that level prospect, right, and guards dominate the NBA more than big guys do, if you're Orlando, given what you have, like Cole Anthony's nice, fine. Jalen Suggs, good player. But like, and I'm high on Jalen Suggs. But why wouldn't you try and trade down and take Ivy to pair with Suggs or even crazier, if you really like him and you think he could be the best player in the draft, why not just draft him one? Um, I mean, I definitely think if you can trade down, of course, do it. I, right. I'm, I'm with you. I'm. It's a, you know, there are a dime a dozen guards that are really, really good in the NBA. Um, he's a guy that can play both positions, one and two. He played more two than he than he did one in college, but I think that was just from a a strategic coaching standpoint. Like they just didn't really give him the keys, which was we- weird. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they traded back to three and then took Ivy ahead of Smith. Like, I really wouldn't be surprised if anyone took Ivy, um, ahead of any of these three guys, if they felt so inclined, I don't think that that it would not make sense for the thunder to do it because they have SGA and they have Giddy. Um, yeah, but man, I really like Ivy. And I think if you want the flyer, the potential is there. I mean, the comps are there, right? Like it's, it's a little bit of Anthony Edwards. It's a little bit of jaw. Like the guy's a freak athlete. I don't, I don't know if he can create. Those, are, those guys are not dime a dozen type guards, by the way. I agree with you on guards, but you know, that sometimes you can get guards on the cheap, but. Anthony right. Edwards, That's what I'm saying. If you, yeah. if you, th- if you think he is a back half 15 starting point guard in the NBA, don't pick him in the top three. But if you think he right. is has the opportunity to be like those two guys. Those guys are very, very special. So it's, it's hard for me to, to even throw those guys out there. But if you think the potential is there, um, yeah, go for it. I'm, that's why I'm saying if you're a Knicks, if you're the Knicks, why are you not trading up? Do whatever you can to trade up. Nothing well, else matters. Nothing I, else matters. Like, I, 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 I agree. 
I agree. Even though I do think Emmanuel quickly has shown enough where it's like, and I'm going to get into the Knicks portion, you know, later part of this, this episode, but I think Emmanuel quickly has shown enough where I don't want, that's why I don't want to pay Brunson $25 million a year, right? It's why I don't want, as much as I like him as a player, given the injury, I don't want Malcolm Brogdon, right? I'd rather just give quickly the keys, but whatever that that's about the Knicks. But no, I agree with you about Jaden Ivey. I, I, I really like him. It just, his movement is, is crazy. You don't see guys be able to move like that. Uh, okay. So that's, uh, that's the top four outside the top four. Who's the next guy. And we'll end with this. Like who's the next guy outside the top four projected prospects who in five years you can realistically see as being one of the two or three best players in this draft. I, there's a lot of good wings in this draft, but I don't know if any of them jump off the page enough offensively for me to like pick them as, as a top five guy in this class. This is a bit of a, I don't, maybe it's not, I know a lot of guys are high on him. He's jumped up boards. He was fantastic to watch in the tournament. I'm a huge fan of of, uh, Malachi Branham. I think that guy is an absolute stud. I think he's a flamethrower. He can hit from deep. He's got good size. I think if he applies himself defensively, uh, he's just a guy that's a really savvy basketball player. I mean, for me, it's like him. And I I mentioned like wings, like Sohan, like he's got so much to do offensively, but like his feel for the game is really great. He's a good passer out of the four position. He can defend three through five, maybe even two on a switch. I wouldn't really mind him. Um, And then, I mean, I, I like Ben Matherin a lot. I think that's my guy. Yeah. He's a guy that it's like, you want to talk about Anthony Edwards? Like, that guy, Ben Matherin, is a freak athlete. He is a freak athlete. And I don't know if he has the he's got he's got a good shooting stroke. For those guys, it's like a guy like Levine coming into the league. It's like I don't know why he's not a good defender. Because if he applies himself, he's gotten better league, over the years. For gotten sure. better over the years. And that, and I think that's Matherin's like big critique. But like that guy can run one and two if he if he needs to. Um, he's big enough where he could play the three if he had to on a small ball lineup. He shoots the ball well. He's alpha dog mentality. The guy wants the ball in his hands at the end of the game. He can play make. If he could defend like even just a little bit, he's he's a problem. He's a problem. Obviously, the Knicks having the 11th pick right now. Um, there were a couple of weeks ago where Matherin was in our range, projected range, which excited me. I don't think that that's the case anymore. I think he's going to end up in the top eight somewhere. Um, so he's my he's my my first choice. And I don't know. This guy, Mark Williams out of Duke, has – and centers like that get dinged now in the NBA. Yeah. But I, I do think that we could look back and if he turns out to be like a Jared Allen type, that you're just like, well – why didn't guys take him earlier? And I get it, right? You're you're going like star star hunting at the top of the draft. You know, people have different philosophies in terms of being general managers and what they look for at the top of the draft. But he's a guy that is interesting to me. I, I mean, he he obviously flew up boards because of his tournament run and how crucial he was. He was doing Which things. Could be in a college. red flag, by the way, because you know have one giant tournament run and then not be no. good. 
No, in the big, the guys that step up in the biggest moments, like I, I buy that nine out of 10 times. I I'm, I'm here for it. I, I think that, you know, he did things in college defensively that we hadn't seen since Anthony Davis. And I think that needs to be paid attention to because as much as like, I didn't want the maps to make a move for him. And I'm glad that we didn't go and get Rudy Gobert. What that guy does defensively for, for defense to, to an opposing offense is scary. I mean, it's just, they have to completely change their game plan every single game that they play. In. Yeah. If, if you were, if you were paying that guy 12 to $15 million, it'd be great. If you're paying him $44 million in a salary yeah. cap sport, that means your team is dead and you're never going to win anything. But no, thank you. But if Mark Williams can be, right. if, if, if that's what he can be at his best, then, and in, and in four years, that's what he becomes great pick by the Knicks. I would you much rather see them pick Mark Williams over Jalen Duran? Uh, yeah, but again, you know, at that point, I'm just like, eh. like, let's see, you yeah. know, the guy who right now, a lot of people have them at 11 is AJ Griffin. You know, they say he's a great shooter. A couple of times I watched Duke. I'm like, is this guy really like, what does he do? Like, he doesn't move. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. At, at that point, it's just like throw your hands up in the air, and it's just like you'll you'll either bitch about it or say, "Ah, they're all geniuses." Right. If you have a real desire for Jaden Ivey at this point, because it's been leaked out all over the place, just go do it. Do whatever you have to do at this point. Just do it. Like you're not you're not really gonna miss anyone that you'd have to give up. No, just yeah. At, at this point, you're. It seems to me as long as, as long as RJ's on the team, that's all that matters. Well, and I'd still, depending on the ancillary pieces, I'd still include him in a Donovan Mitchell trade. But again, it depends on all the other things that Utah would ask for. That's a whole other conversation. Whole now, other we don't have a right whole there. lot of time for, but I could go on forever. Alex, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, finally getting it to work schedule-wise. And uh, you can enjoy the NBA draft. And we'll, uh, we'll text and we'll email about yeah. it and this is great hopefully we get to do this again when before, that, yeah. and before you sign off tell everybody where they can find your stuff you know just a little a little bio make sure you get some plugs in there of course um well i have i have two podcasts on the believe network alongside for the love of the game the charity stripe and then i do uh believe in maps with with my buddy kevin gray jr um and you can follow me on twitter toss T-A-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-O-H. Um, you can follow me on Instagram too, but I don't post as much about sports content there. That's more just a personal follow, but um, yeah, A-T-H. Loved being on the show, man. Loved it. I expected invite on both of those shows. We got to make it happen. Listen, you know what? I we, I got to return the favor. Yeah, no, I'm we got to get you on. Invite. That's it. We, we got to get you invite. on, and we got to get you in the mix. Uh, of course, talking hoops with, I know a guy that's already guested on your podcast, Josh Fisher. Uh, you know, he's a hoops head too. His dad's a massive Knicks fan, as he might have told you. Um, but I did I'll be, not I'll know be, this because he's yeah. a Celtics guy. I did not know this. He's got a great story that we'll have to uh, we'll have to share on the podcast of why he's a Celtics fan and not a Knicks fan. But I will be thinking about you, man, uh, when the Knicks make their pick on thursday and i will uh we'll have to text right after i'm sure i'm sure uh, it'll be exciting just if it doesn't go my way just just be gentle that's all i ask all right just be gentle well i think it's in a position now where it's like how bad could it really be 
What's the worst that could happen? We've seen the worst already with this franchise, I believe. Anyway, Alex, this was awesome. Seriously, let me know when I can come on yours, and we'll make it happen. I really appreciate the time, brother. Have a good one. So this is going to be a mega episode. It's absolutely jam-packed. I have the pleasure of welcoming on another first-time guest, somebody who I've gone back and forth with a lot. Alex Benesowitz, a.k.a. Alex B. on Twitter, Knicks Central. The Knicks are in the lottery once again. I know we don't have a tremendous amount of time, but we at least had to put something on wax. Alex, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Finally, good, Aaron. Good. Uh, finally, good to have you. It's been in the works for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. You know, uh, you know, we've been we've been DMing and talking on Twitter a lot for for years now. So it's 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 nice to finally get on here and talk some Knicks and you know leading up to the draft and everything. Well, I'd like to think that you and I are two of the more rational people when it comes right. to Knicks Twitter in this absurd, crazy universe that we dip our toes into. So <laughs> it's good. It's good to finally put. You know, it on as Jalen Rose would say, put it on wax, right? You get you right. get the voices to the uh, to the opinions. It's great. So it's going to be an interesting off season for the Knicks, and there are so many different ways to go about this. But obviously, the big rumors right now, or I should say, the big headline to start is this Kyrie Irving nonsense, right? Nonsense is right. At, yes. at an <laughs> impasse with the Nets, right? Uh, the Knicks are maybe a rumored destination. Alan Hahn went on a rant saying how the Knicks basically can't get him. What did you hear? I should say, what were your initial thoughts when you saw all this hoopla and did you want to jump off a bridge? Uh, I did because I knew that there were going to be the thirsty, uh, you know, like the Stephen A. Smiths or the Craig Cartons that are going to go out there and just say whatever they can. Like, yeah, we want Kyrie with the Knicks. Knicks fans want him. And like, really, no Knicks fans want him. You know? <laughs> like, no, I'd say 97% of Knicks fans don't want him. And the ones that don't, that do want him are the same people that didn't understand why Knicks fans are rooting for the Celtics in the playoffs. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they weren't really, you know, they're not really in tune or paying attention as much. And that's fine, you know, and, and maybe they don't care. And that's fine. But but, but I feel like the vast, vast majority don't doesn't want Kyrie. And when I heard the news, I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Sorry if I, I don't Seriously. know if I can curse. No, but I don't I just, we let it fly. Okay. So I said, oh, fuck. And because I knew it was going to be nonsense like this that's going on. And it's, it's, Kyrie is just using the Knicks and the Lakers as a way to get to the Nets and say, you know, he wants more money. He wants to stay home. He wants that long-term guaranteed max contract. He wants to opt out, get the super max, whatever it is with the NBA terms of where he is at in his career. And he's using the Knicks as a way to do that. And the Knicks aren't interested in him. The Knicks didn't even want him in 2019. They they wanted Durant and Kawhi. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they, they didn't even try to get him then. You know what I'm saying? It's just, so what, when that happened, I was just like, God damn it. Cause now we're gonna have to deal with all this nonsense. And instead of just focusing on what's going on for real with the draft coming up. Well, I think the Knicks wanted him in 2019 if it meant landing Kevin Durant. Like, I thought, they were, you know, the Knicks were definitely willing to pay that tax, as you say, uh, to get Kevin Durant. But I've said on numerous occasions, Kyrie Irving not signing with the Knicks has been the best thing to happen to them right. in the last 10 years, easily. And they're... There's under no circumstance that they should want him, besides for all the craziness with his personality, like he's just not a winning basketball player. If you take out the seasons with LeBron James in Cleveland, where he's been dining off of one made basket 
for his entire career. Pretty big in shot. 2016. Pretty big yeah, shot, it's though. A big shot, but it, it, it was <laughs> one time in 2016. Like, he's a career losing player. So I just don't get it. He's Steve Francis with better PR and one big shot. Like, and a we movie. don't want and a movie. that. <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. So, yeah, no, and I, I hear you. I hear you there. And and every time he gets to the playoffs, he's either injured or he's got something else going on. So I, I hear you there. I think you're you're under underplaying him a little underselling him a little bit. But I do think that, you know, at this point in his career, even without the off-court off stuff like getting Kyrie now wouldn't make any sense because he doesn't stay healthy and and he's old and he's going to, you know, get a lot, not old, old, but he's going to demand a lot of money and where the Knicks are right now to get him, you would have to trade him and the Nets and the Nets aren't going to trade him to the Knicks. You know what I mean? So right. the whole point is just, it's just, it's just silly. It's just nonsense. It just doesn't make any sense. Just using the Knicks for leverage. And it's just, it drive me, it drove me crazy <laughs> yesterday or whenever it was. Well, I, I drew a line in the sand. I, I, I yeah. said it. If, somehow this godforsaken thing happens. I am forfeiting my Knicks fandom for the entirety of his stay with the team. And I will wow. actively root against them. Now, when he leaves, I'll come back because I didn't choose Nick's life. Nick's life chose me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I can't. I just, I absolutely cannot do it. So yeah. from something that's not going to happen to hopefully something that may happen. What to you is the most important thing for the Knicks this offseason? The most important move they can make? Getting rid of Julius Randle. We're on the same page. All right. Bottom by line. any means necessary, correct? <laughs> Bottom line. Yeah. Well, by any means necessary, sure. But that, there's always like, you know, contingencies. Obviously, we're talking within reason, you know, but by any means necessary. Yes. Get rid of Julius Randle and let's go. And, you know, I wish they could have gotten rid of Tibbs, but they didn't do that. I have to deal with that. He's not he's going to be here. So that was important to me, too. But getting rid of Julius Randle, getting rid of that negative energy. The guy's happy when we lose and, and, and mad when we win. And it's just, it's at towards the end of the season, they had to get him out of there. He's just, the fans don't like him. The team doesn't like him, but they're, they're not saying it publicly, but it's kind of obvious <laughs> based on body language. You could see RJ Barrett was caught a couple of times, you know, his hands up like, dude, come on, pass me the ball. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like he, he wouldn't. And, and there was a couple of like indirect press conferences where RJ Barrett said some things. I, I don't remember exactly what he said. You know, but sort of, you know, taking a shot at him, you know, so it's 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 over, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's over the Cinderella run uh, seemed right. to be like some type of one and done. I, the Randall thing, it, it's weird, though, because the big suitor, potential suitor, and we'll talk about uh, our connection with the Sacramento Kings in just a matter of moments. But once they traded for Sabonis. That seemed to have gone out the window. So looking at the landscape of the league, where could we find, you know, a home for Julius Randle? And what type of asset are you willing to attach to him in a trade to get him there? Because that's what it's going to take right now. I think you can get him. It, it, it also, I also talk about this on my podcast, Bad Weather Fans. You know, it's just, I think it's, it's a way that you can... You got to wait till the first domino hits in in the offseason. You know what I mean? There could be a big trade that opens up, you know, a spot somewhere. There also could be because if you look on paper, you're like, where's he going to go? But right. it, there's a, there could be an open spot that opens up when a big trade happens, or there could be a big trade that he's a part of that the Knicks sneak in and, and dump Randall somewhere. You know, there's always those kinds of things that happen every offseason. We're always like, where's where's he going to go? There's also a place like Detroit. They're they're so bad. They just want talent. Houston wants talent. You know, you never know who who these teams are. You know, when they're ready to win. But like, I think they can deal him 
if they really wanted to. Russell Westbrook has been traded two off season, consecutive off seasons and maybe a third, and he has the most untradeable contract in the NBA. <laughs> so, well, you know, not anymore because it only has a year left. But yeah, I, I right, I right, right. Point. Yeah, like you can't tell me you can't do something in the NBA. There's always going to be a sucker. The NBA, they're always like, oh, well, you know, we can we can bring him, you know, he'll come here. Maybe he'll be an all star again. Get, you know, all NBA second team again, you know, because he you put up numbers. I mean, you can't hide players like you did in the 70s or the 80s or even the 90s where you're like, look at the stat sheet. He's great. You know, people see everything that's going on now, you know, but I do think that they can get rid of him if they really, really wanted to. I'm just scared that they won't. I just, I just think you're going to have to be ready to attach one of those Dallas future first round picks. That's fine. And, I, That's and fine. I'm to- I'm totally, totally okay with it. It's just yeah. Knicks fans need to understand like that's where we are with this right now because the bromance with him and Tibbs needs to be cut. Like you need to cut the cord already because – if he's there, Tibbs is going to ride him for 35 minutes a night, 40 minutes a night, and do the ISO Randall crap, play him like LeBron James, because that's all Tibbs knows. Right. And and that is essentially the problem, especially when we have a decent collection of young talent that has shown flashes. Again, it hasn't given the opportunity to sprout its wings, but has shown flashes, which brings me to the second most important thing that's not going to happen is – Firing Tibbs. Right. You've been on this train for a while. So besides for the things I just explained, why else is it time? To fire Tibbs? Yeah. Well, okay. Because he's a 64-year-old stubborn coach that isn't playing the younger players that are better than the veteran players or that play harder than the veteran players. He's not holding Julius Randle accountable throughout the season. He got was mad also after the Knicks won when the young players dominated. Remember, he was in the press conference, like, lecturing the fans. Like, you have to watch film in order to know what's going on. Like, dude, we well, just won. we just won. have to watch the games, and we, we see it, too. <laughs> right. Like, we're not completely, you know, right. uneducated here. Right. And again, it's 2022. We can watch the games again if we wanted to. <laughs> this isn't the Go 90s. on YouTube. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, stop trying to talk down to us, man. We know what's going on. Yeah. Fans can be irrational. Yeah. I think in the beginning of the season, they turned on Randall a little too fast. You know, for me, when, when Randall started, went through the laptop at the at the assistant coach and, you know, he got a fan kicked out somewhere in Orlando, I think it was for trash talking. That's when I was like, all right, this guy has to go, you know, and the fact that Tibbs did not hold him accountable, did not punish him, you know, and, you know, punish is, is a weird word because he's a pro athlete, but, you know, sit him down, bench him, you know, reprimand him in any way, like nothing. He was just out there playing 40 minutes the next night. You know, it's just, are you crazy? Like you can't set, you can't. And then Obi Toppin makes one mistake. He sits for four games. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ridiculous. You can't teach your young players this kind of crap. You know, this is just like, how are they going to respect you? It was like two years ago with Alfred Payton forcing him in the lineup, forcing the lineup. Emmanuel quickly's out playing him. Derek Rose out playing him and, and Alfred Payton playing, playing, playing. How are you going to look your young players in the face and say, hey, you know, you got to work harder and, and play better and then you'll you'll play. And they're like, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, so- no, it's it's absolutely Absolutely insane. And plus, you look at the landscape of the league, right? Look where the coaching styles and and types of coaches, look where it's moving to, right? The old crotchety dude who's been a lifer is – that's being phased out, right? It's these guys who could connect with young players, whether they're either some type of development coaches that are moving up the ranks or ex-players. And again – we tried that with Derek Fisher, Jeff Hornacek. And again, I was 
I was for it because it was trying something new, right? And I right. do think that Tibbs obviously tapped into something that made, you know, the Knicks not a laughing stock. And I don't want to poo-poo that because that was important. But right. now it's like you, you got to move on. Like he got us to a point, and that point is now past, especially yeah. given the makeup of the roster. Like it's a very young roster outside of Randall and – no, even Noel yeah. is not that old, but like Alec Burks, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> That's the other thing with Alec, the Alec Burks obsession where, you know, you're telling me quickly he's not a point guard, which he might not be, but then you, you're, you're playing. The sh- out. Yeah. And but then you're forcing Burks who's a shooting guard as a point yeah. guard. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? And now did you hear the news today with uh Burks and, and he's got a foot surgery, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's insane. You know, just ready for to trade him. So now they're not going to trade him. He gets foot surgery. So he's not traded. You know what I mean? Well, I think somebody <laughs> maybe still know, anyway. Yeah. 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 Because, because it's an expiring deal at a certain number right. where you can package it together. So we're right. both out on Tibbs promote Johnny Bryant. Uh, yep. I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting what the guy's name was that they lost to Louisville. Kenny Payne. That was yeah. a big loss for the Knicks, but mm-hmm. Well, they're not going to do it, but I, I Woodson also was big too. Woodson losing Woodson was big too. But at the same time, you know, Tibbs has been around for so long and now you bring in um, uh, Rick Brunson, an assistant, you know what I mean? To try to get Jalen Brunson, you know, it's just, what are we doing? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, let's, it, let's, let's, let's worry about the guys we have, like the main core young players of like RJ, obviously Mitch quickly maybe obi is 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 one of them you know those guys are the players that we need to develop and work on and play you know what i mean not you know randall and alec burks and noel and derrick rose i mean i love derrick rose he's a coach on the floor i'm okay with keeping him but these are not the guys you want to play over the players that i just mentioned (laughs) you know yeah especially if they're not going to be in contention for real playoff seating exactly Um, quick question on mitch robinson where are you at with mitch robinson i want to keep him you want to keep by any means necessary by any means necessary, no, but like within reason, yes, I do want to keep him for sure. Because, and, and we'll get into where you know, we'll get into where they they stand if they stay at the eleventh pick. Um, right, right. Because I'm, I'm just not, I'm okay if he walks. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have a certain line in the sand, arbitrary line in the sand, say like thirteen million a year for Mitch Robinson, mm-hmm. somewhere in the t- ten to thirteen million dollar a year range. I don't want to pay him more than that. Like I haven't seen, you know, enough where he's not like JaVale McGee-esque. Like JaVale McGee on the Wizards, right? Not right. the Wizards. I'm talking about the Warriors where he was a, like a definite net mean, yeah. positive, yeah. right? Like those guys don't make that much more than that, right? So I, I just – I don't want them to go overboard. Like four years at 20 million per would make me want to drink. Like we can't be doing that. Yeah. I don't think he's getting that. I think that the rumor yesterday or whatever this week was with Mark Stein was that it's going to be like four for, I don't even know, but it's not 20, it's not 20 mil per. It's probably like 14 or so, but you know, I I just, yeah, I, I just think, with Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson gives me Marcus Camby vibes. And I feel like he's got a next level that he can go to. And yeah, he might not, he'll, might not ever be an all-star. He might not ever be the best, you know, best center in the NBA. He's not going to be Jokic, but 
you know what? He can win defensive player of the year. He can, he's, he's already like is, is was top five in total blocks for the season. And he plays like 20 minutes a game. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and he, we forget that he was a second round pick. We forget that he didn't play in college. We forget like, you know, he just had a year of working out. We, he is so, he was so raw coming in. He's had a few different coaches, you know, this is not Nilakina who hasn't shown it, who didn't show anything, you know, this is, this is Mitchell Robinson, who's who's shown so many flashes, just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And then, you know, the things with Tibbs and, and just play play him and not Taj Gibson. And let's see. And and I, I it's pro- probably a bit of Marcus Camby PTSD of getting rid of him and then watching him in Denver dominate. But I really want to keep him. He's our guy. He's young. Keep him, you know, quickly. Same thing. He's our guy. He's young. Keep him. Just just because they're not all stars means we have to trade them. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I, 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 I hear yeah. you. I just don't want yeah. them to go overboard in right. a salary cap league where let's just face it. If a center is not going to be some type of major hub for your offense, you can't pay those guys big money. Mm-hmm. And that's just the reality. I mean, there's no question he's already outperformed his draft slot, right? I, right. By leaps and bounds. Deserves a contract. Yes. Yeah, it deserves yes. a contract. But again, within reason. And if he wants more than that, and, and that's going to be like a major demand and he thinks he can get more than that on the open market, I'm okay with him walking. Especially knowing that like Jericho Sims, who they drafted also in the second round, can actually approximate a lot of the same things that Mitch does. Again, he's not as polished, but that would make sense. Well, we'll see with Sims. I mean, he had a couple of nice games towards the end of the season, but he was also the third to last pick in the draft, which is insane. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Draymond Green vibes with, with Jericho Sims, you know? So it's just, you know, how I, 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 we get. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I would get uh, Draymond Green vibes from Jericho Sims. Well, just because he where he was picked, like towards the right. end of the draft. You know what I mean? And it's just, yeah, you know, but you don't need to get rid of Mitchell Robinson because Jericho Sims was drafted last year because you still have two or three years that you have to pay Jericho Sims. So, like, right. give us four years of Mitch and Jericho Sims. Maybe you have this crazy tandem of Mitch and, and Sims who are just re- getting rebounds and blocking shots no matter what. And and let's go, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean. And then then I'm then I'm I'm, I'm ready to go. Then you, then you're you have your center position locked up. It's not an important position. You're not going to find an Embiid or, or Jokic. That's not that's not likely. Sure, they're not the new age centers that can pop threes, but who cares? You know what I mean. Let's have a guy who can. You know, this is still basketball. We need a guy to block shots. You need a guy to get get rebounds. Look, you know. So and then and then let's go. You know. Then you, you know, worry about the other positions. <laughs> I know you know my 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 feelings on Rudy Gobert. I'm not a Rudy yeah. Gobert guy, mm-hmm. but. Rudy Gobert at $13 million a year is awesome, right? right? right. You just don't want Rudy Gobert making max money. So, it, you know, I'm not saying Mitchell Robinson is as good as Rudy Gobert, but along the same logic, saying, yeah. right? All right, so the draft is coming up. The Knicks mm-hmm. are in the 11th spot. There are rumors about them moving up to four. Uh, this next question I have for you is going to tie all these things together, right? Mm-hmm. Rank these Possible outcomes for the Knicks offseason slash draft um, scenario. One, the Knicks move up to get Jaden Ivey. Two, the Knicks trade for Donovan Mitchell. Three, the Knicks move money around to sign Jalen Brunson. Four, the Knicks trade for Malcolm Brogdon. Which is the most desirable and which is the least desirable? And rank them in order. Starting Number with one the is most Don- desirable. No problem. No, number one is Donovan Mitchell, without a doubt. If you can get Donovan Mitchell without getting rid of, you know, the obvious young players and picks, you get them. You know what well, I mean? Or the it, obvious young pa- players. R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett's the obvious guy that's not tradable. Because then what are you doing? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? You know, so RJ Barrett's the obvious guy. I would like to hold on to quickly, but that in a trade like that, I would give up the future picks and the younger players that I desire besides RJ and go get Donovan Mitchell because he's a surefire all-star, especially moving to the East. I mean, the West was bad this year, but still like, you know, he's, he's a guy that'll be an all-star the, step, the moment he steps on the floor. Guys like let that me, don't come let around. Let me ask often. you a quick question. Yep. RJ Barrett and a future one for Donovan Mitchell. Is that in a hard no? I, I don't do that. I don't do that. I I I think RJ Barrett's going to be a star if he isn't already 26 last year, right? As a 21 year old or something like that. And he he was blocked by Randall. He's blocked by all these guys that 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 you know, and this coach. And you know, he's he is our guy. And he it's again, you don't have to trade guys just because they're not the best player in the NBA. And you know, right. the point is to get guys to play with him, not to switch him. And then what the hell are the Knicks? You know what I mean? You want to take that next step and see what you can do with two all-stars potentially now, you know what I mean? With Mitchell and, and RJ Barrett, which I'm, I'm assuming he'll be an all-star soon, you know, maybe not this year, but the year after, you know, so that's, that's why I wouldn't do that. I would consider it. My whole thing without trading RJ Barrett for Mitchell is what else is involved. If you're right. asking the full boat, then it's a no, right? Mm -hmm. If it's just RJ and a future pick, I'd be way more okay with it because as much as I like R.J. Barrett, I'm just not sure he'll ever be Donovan Mitchell. Now, yeah. again, is that more linear? Well, then you got to make moves outside that, right? It, it can't just be in a vacuum, but I'd be okay with it if it was that. I'm not trading R.J. plus a quickly plus a future first for Donovan Mitchell. That I'm not willing to do. But I'm that just makes sense. I, it's interesting to hear Knicks fans' perspective about like not trading R.J. For, for Mitchell, and I, I I get it, but, you know, again, it depends on the ancillary pieces. Okay, so that's your your first. Mine was actually trade up to get Jaden Ivey. That was my number one. That's my number two. That's my number okay, two. Okay, so now. Depends on the trade also. It always depends on the trade. So what, <laughs> of course, so what are you willing to give up to go to four to get Jaden Ivey? Obviously, Randall, uh, number 11. Uh, the Mavs pick next year. I'm, I I don't want to give up any future first, and then whatever young pieces within reason, Grimes I'll give up. You know, I I Obi if I have to, but I don't want to. I don't want I don't want to give up quickly either. You know, but I would give up got a lot to get up to that, but not the future picks scare me. And again, it might be PTSD going back to Marcus Camby with like Isaiah Thomas, like forget these picks. We'll be good by that. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. So I want to keep insurance. If you want to protect them, like top 12 protected uh, next year's pick. Sure. Throw it in there. But you know, you're not going to sit here. Don't, don't, don't sit here and, and get swindled by the fucking Kings. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's right. what I'm worried about. You know, if, and, and another thing is because, He's a rookie, right? He could be a bust. He could be a scrub in the NBA. I'm not giving up the, the farm for, for Ivy. I give up the farm for Donovan Mitchell, but I'm not giving up the farm for Ivy, who's not a proven commodity. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I go get him, but then I think, like, why is he falling to four if he's this franchise-changing point guard in a guard's league? Why is he not going in the top three? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I know well, the I other actually, guys are I good, but, made, you know. I actually yeah. made that case. Yeah. on a prior segment in this episode that's okay. coming out that why can't Orlando take him one if they think he's the best player in the draft or trade right. down to three to take him, you know, there, if you're really valuing the bigs. 
Um, right. Cole I, Anthony's I, not going to stop you from taking a franchise changing point. Correct. Guard. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm sure there, yeah. you know, Cole Anthony's a nice player. You can find right. a ticket for Cole Anthony. Um, yeah. I, I would be more willing to give up a lot to go get a guy like that. You know, and I, I still think he's an off guard than necessarily Donovan Mitchell only because it elongates your timeline. Mm-hmm. But if you really think he's that guy, like, do it right and as much as i don't want to hold you know or i should say get rid of top and quickly you know too quickly not the not emmanuel quickly um if julius randall's gonna be there it's just gonna block the top in minutes and at a certain point if that's the case you just got just just cash in the asset as as cold as that is now again i wish we weren't having this conversation because randall would be out but I'm willing to be way more flexible to get a guy that if you really think he's a franchise changer that's going to be on a rookie deal for five years, just do it. Just do it already. And it sounds like they're so far in the weeds on this. Like now you have no choice, right? Mm -hmm. Like now you're pot committed and you got to do it. So that's where I am with that. So that was my number one. Donovan Mitchell was number two, depending on, um, on again, what the trade looked like uh well, that's your what thoughts that on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your thoughts on jalen brunson that's my number this three tricky to me number three is brunson and number four is brogdon uh, brunson i it, it also depends on the deal and i saw Woj. uh they had a mock draft show on espn and well i posted on uh, at Nick central on twitter he he said the knicks are are i, I wouldn't be surprised if the knicks trade down from 11 and then move off some salaries and just to make to make a run at Jalen Brunson. If you're doing that, you better fucking know you're getting Jalen Brunson. Number one, <laughs> number two, yeah. you know, like is Jalen Brunson worth all this? You know, I know it's Fred no. Van Vliet again. You know, I mean, whatever. But like at the same time, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It, just stay at eleven and develop quickly and see what happens. You know what I'm saying? Correct. <laughs> I am way more inclined, way more inclined to want to play quickly. Uh, big minutes than to pay Jalen Brunson, you know, $25 million when we're not really sure, like he can run a good team. Like I think Brunson, and I actually had this conversation with a Mavs fan where it's like Brunson's more valuable to them than anybody else Mm -hmm. on the caveat that there needs to be a stylistic change in the way Dallas plays, where they need to empower him a little bit more and be a little less Luka-centric. Like, there's got to be some type of, you know, give and take where Luka gives up a little bit more, I mean, I should say a little bit less of his personal usage to empower a guy like Brunson. I think that would give the Mavericks more of a ceiling. But I don't want to take, I don't want to make a $25 million a year bet on a guy like that as promising as as some of it's been you know and do all these little maneuvers to make that bet that just seems like a lot for a guy like Jalen Brunson that's just me right right you better like I said you better know you're getting him if you're going to do all that because the free agency is after the draft so you can't even yeah. you're, not, you're not even guaranteeing it which is weird in itself and you know how are and like let's put yourself in Mark Cuban's shoes or the Mavs 
How are you letting this guy walk away? You just got to the conference finals, right? How do you let this guy walk away? And and then Luca's gonna be like, "What the fuck are we doing here?" Okay, now I have a Quentin Grimes. Like, great. Like, what are we doing? I you like know, Quentin so, Grimes, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying if you're in Luca's right. shoes, you're like, "What? What do we? What? What just happened?" You know what I mean? And then you look at the the Nick side of thing. As a Nick fan like me, my PTSD again comes in. Is this? It's, it's, he's obviously better. Like Jerome James has one great playoff series with with the Sonics, and and Isaiah Thomas throws the bag at him. Is that this with Jalen? Brunson I know he's better but like you know Jalen Brunson wasn't crushing it every single playoff game like yeah he had some great games but he wasn't like dominating and he's not you know he's not an all-star maybe he will be sure if you can get him for the right deal at the right price I do it but again I'm not maneuvering my roster to put myself in position to sign Jalen Brunson who I might not even get (laughs) right yeah and last you and I agree is the Brogdon thing I like Brogdon as a player. Mm-hmm. He's not healthy enough. Like you just can't. And and those rumors about trading number eleven for Brogdon is just that to me is completely insane. Really? It's not I mean, like if it's, it's, it's just the eleven, deal. if it's just the eleven for Brogdon, I, I think about it. I really do. But I, I know it can't happen. And then we can dump Burks and whoever else. Then I think about it. I think about that because it's got to be nothing. Or trade trade Julius Randle to the Pacers, you know, for Brogdon. I, well, I do that. Sign, well, sign yeah. me up for that. Like, not right. even a question. It's just, and you know, the Brogdon contract still has, I think, two more years after this coming year. Yeah, he's so extended, just, I think, right? Yeah, yeah something. It's just, yeah. it's just a like lot. twenty mil and, too, right? Yeah. Twenty mil per year, something crazy. <laughs> I think the number's twenty-two, and he just doesn't play enough. Like, yeah. he doesn't play enough. I really like him as a player. He just doesn't play enough. So we're we both hope that the Knicks move up to four and get this mm. Ivy thing. Now, assuming it doesn't go our way because nothing seems to go our way as Knicks fans. We kind of yeah. uh, are resigned to that fact. They stay at 11. Oh, by the way, before that, there's this bumbling uh, debate amongst Knicks Twitter. Uh, Quentin Grimes or Cam Reddish? Which one would you value more? I got to say Quentin Grimes because I've seen more of him. Um, I agree. And I, I like I like Reddish a lot, and I want Reddish more of a long term play to potentially get Zion down the road. You know what I mean? That's some that's something I would think about. But at the same time, I'm not maneuvering my roster with the hope of getting a player. You know, but yeah. I do I do like Quentin Grimes better. I think he plays more defense, and I think he he's a better shooter. But Cam Reddish was the tenth pick in the draft a couple of years ago and hasn't really had a shot. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's kind of tough. But why hasn't he had a shot? I don't know. Is he's not as bad as Kevin Knox? obviously but you know and he's rj's boy like i don't know what's going on here you know with all that cam reddish is really great in theory yeah uh quentin grimes is potentially really good like in practice like we've seen it actually Mm. happen so i'm with you quentin grimes now again which one would be moved in a a potential trade again it depends on who you're targeting but yeah. I would value Grimes over Cam Reddish. The Cam Reddish thing with some Knicks fans to me is really weird. Like this atta- emotional yeah. attachment. It's it's weird. All right. So last question, because I know you mm-hmm. got to go. We were a little limited on time. We can go no, okay. hours on this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the Knicks are at 11, right? Mm-hmm. Assuming they stay at 11. Who do you like for them at that spot? That could be in range. Obviously, the guy I liked is uh, Benedict Matherin, who is not going to be there anymore because he's shooting off board, off uh, the top of the, you know, shooting top to the five, top six. of the charts. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. He's going to be in the five eight range. So at eleven, who do you like and why? 
I do like I do like Benedict also, by the way. He's but I I think if guys like Johnny Davis or, or Sharp fall, I, I would take them. But it looks like AJ Griffin's gonna be the guy. I, I can only talk about positions. I want a guard, you know what I mean? I don't want a big man, I don't want a power forward. So that's why, you know, but it I don't know, man. Just get me somebody athletic. <laughs> at this point, we're stuck at 11. Just give me somebody athletic. Give me somebody who could, or somebody who could shoot. I, I, if you draft the fucking center, I, I give up, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Under one caveat, though, right? Mm-hmm. I actually would look, and it's hard to do this because, of, you know, free agency is after the draft. But mm-hmm. Mark Williams added Duke, depending on where you feel the negotiations with Mitchell Robinson are going because that's that to me is the big thing if you don't think they're going well I think Mark Williams out of Duke would be a great replacement and you let Mitch walk and you have Mark Williams on a controlled contract who can do a lot of the things that Mitchell Robinson does uh AJ Griffin to me I mean the shooting numbers at Duke from three were were outrageous but I also watch him and, you know, going through like Gavoni's mock drafts throughout the, the last couple of months. And you see he was like potentially at four, potentially yep. five, right? Top eight guy. And I just never saw it. And again, that Duke team was loaded. Guys can get lost in the shuffle. I get all of that. But just like, I don't know, like maybe <laughs> fine. I'd rather at that point take a chance on Johnny Davis. Well, this is I why know. I would trade the pick. This is why I would trade the pick for Brogdon because it's just like, what are what are we doing with this pick? It's such a such a weird tweener pick that it's just you don't know what's gonna. We got to see how the draft plays out, of course. But, but I'd also rather yeah. take a chance on a on a young player that can do something as opposed to a guy who's always hurt and is making twenty two million dollars. That's true. I mean, I hear you. I hear you there. But you know what? And then you have the it's it's a question either way. If Brogdon's healthy and you get Brogdon, you're happy with that for trading the 11th pick. And if this guy works out, whoever they pick at 11 works out, then you're happy with the pick. But either way, it could be a bust either way. So it's 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 just a question. That's why package a trick the pick with Randall. And if you even if you move down, if you let me ask you a question. If you draft, if you package Randall in 11 to move down to get out of that pick. Yeah, Sign me done, up. Absolutely. Right? It's okay. it's the trade Randall at all costs theory. Do whatever. If, if yeah. that's if that's the tax you have to pay, mm-hmm. pay the tax. Done. Done. Pay the tax. Yeah. yeah, pay the tax. Yeah, especially a pick like eleven where you don't you're not really excited about any of these guys anyway. You know what I mean? Right. So pay the so, tax. That's it. Yeah, and then if you trade Randall and the eleven and move down, then you might have the cap space to even get Brunson too. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. That to know. me would be, would be, aside for Ivy, would be the best case scenario for the Knicks right. draft. That would right. be the best because, as we said a couple of minutes ago, the most important move for the Knicks this offseason is trading Julius Randle. And if that means moving back even 10 slots in the draft, that's an arbitrary number. So right. be it. So right. be it. Done. Done. So we agree. Well, we agree. Let, let, let's <laughs> hope for some good news. Thursday night. Alex, before we let you out of here, and again, I really appreciate the time trying to squeeze this in. We're recording this in the middle of the day. I know it's a little hectic for everybody. Just remind everybody where they can find you. Okay. Well, on Twitter at Nick Central, Alex B at Nick Central on Twitter, you know, as many of you know. 
And then also Bad Weather Fans Podcast, where I do a podcast with a, a Nets fan. So it's a Nixon Nets fan podcast. Uh, so Which Mike- I'm still waiting for my invite. Uh, I expect <laughs> that to come sometime soon. Right. We got to complete the home and home. We'll definitely yes. do that, you know. And so we have uh, it's 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 unique because it's a Knicks and Nets podcast. Everybody's got two Nets fans, two Knicks fans. Every you know everybody's got their own podcast, but it's unique because it's a New York basketball podcast. We talk all sports, New York sports, et cetera, et cetera. But my my uh, co-host Mike Pasaglia, formerly of uh, CBS Sports Radio, WFAN, you know he's a big Nets fan. Does shows with Evan Roberts, uh, his, his Brooklyn basketball podcast, and stuff like that. So One that's the, the unique. Well, okay, thing. so there are two of the fifteen Nets fans out there. It's good to know that you have uh, <laughs> access to one of them. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. It's it, it's it's fun because there's times where we both hate each other's team, you know. So it, it's it leads for fun banter, but we're but we're good friends. So like we like each other and sometimes we get on each other's nerves a couple episodes where we were actually screaming at each other. But overall, you know, it, it's it's good fun banter and we got a lot of Knicks and Nets players on and we've had Chris Childs and Kerry Kittles and Richard Jefferson. And most recently we had Tracy McGrady, who was obviously the, the former Nick great, you know, once a Nick, always a good Nick. <laughs> 2009, I had hopes. I was at that game against Oklahoma City. Me too, man. Had, Me too. We had 27. We're just like, oh my God, did we get something yeah. lightning in a bottle? It didn't last very long. It's funny. If you look on YouTube, uh, a Tracy McGrady starting lineup from that game, I'm the one who filmed that back in the day. <laughs> Posted wow. that on YouTube. Yeah. You know, wow. I got that proof. Yeah. 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 Wow. It was it was crazy. That was wild. We were we were giving standing ovations for what's his name, the point guard Sergio Rodriguez coming off the bat. We were just all so excited. This is the one trade that might not just be a cap dump trade, <laughs> but it ended up being just a cap dump. Trade anyway. we, we're <laughs> we are so tortured. All yes. right, Alex, this is great. And yeah, let me know when I complete the three man weave on the podcast. Looking forward to it. I really appreciate you doing this. And uh, let's hope for the best Thursday night and this off season because well, that's. We, it's all we, we can do. Yeah. It's all we can do. <laughs> Good to speak to you, bud. Finally getting this done and uh, talk soon. Thanks, Aaron. Talk to you soon. I know. Thanks again to my guests this evening, the two Alexes, Alex Disopolis of the Believe Podcast family and Alex B of Nick's Twitter at Nick Central. Just an awesome episode. Absolutely jam-packed. Tons of good stuff. That's episode 162 for the love of the game. Take us out. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.